Today's episode is going to be about Leonardo da Vinci. And this is from the same author as Steve Jobs, Walter Isaacson. So Walter Isaacson, I really got interested in him because in the book with Steve Jobs, he mentioned that Steve specifically asked him to write his book because he really liked the book that he wrote on Einstein and Benjamin Franklin. So I finally felt like, you know what, I found this author I can trust. All the famous people that he's covered have this theme of intersection between science and art, right? And so I think he picks really good people to write biographies on, on top of being a very good author. So I'm probably going to do all four of these, or I'm definitely going to do all four of these. But I've been getting very excited about them. I literally finished the Steve Jobs book and the Da Vinci book in two or three days each. And so, I mean, I might just knock out this whole week full of biographies because... I'm following my interest, you know, I'm curious. And yeah, if if I learn anything from the Da Vinci book, it's it's okay to get a little distracted and delve into your interests. So as they pronounce it in the book, Da Vinci is a Renaissance man. He's from the late 1400s, early 1500s from Florence, Italy. And he's just freaking awesome, dude. I love Da Vinci. Oh my goodness. I took some notes for this one because... I wasn't as familiar with his story or his work as Steve Jobs, but I was absolutely blown away, dude. I I don't really pay much attention to art, as in, I like music, and I do appreciate more of, like, animations, I guess, because that's from my era, but, like, a specific painting, I don't have as much appreciation as some people, but this book just gave me a whole new appreciation for drawings and paintings and just still art like that. I I knew that they were impressive, but... It just, I get caught up in the future and technology and and I don't really get caught up in like past artworks, right? So this really just changed the way I view painting and art in general. And that was really important for me just to kind of get that front row seat of his life. But in case you're not familiar with Da Vinci, he created the Mona Lisa. He created the Vitruvian Man. He has his arms and legs in a box and in a circle to represent the heavens and the earth. And he did the last supper and several other famous artworks. So he's one of the most famous probably artists ever. And the thing is though, is that he was much, much more than just an artist. He was also an engineer and he was a scientist. And at this one point in the book, he lists everything he's good at. And at the very end, he's like, oh, and I'm also an artist. So he really didn't put his art first, necessarily. He he was really, I think he would rather be an engineer, right? And he was creative and he was an intellect. And he followed all sorts of intellectual pursuits from astrology to anatomy to hydrodynamical physics. It was crazy. So... Unlike Steve Jobs, I'm not going to give him like his storyline. He did have a storyline, but one of the craziest things about Da Vinci is that he took these crazy interesting notes, right? And they they probably only have like a fourth of the notes, which is still like 7,000 pages. So that's kind of why there's some mystery to him. There's a lot of mystery around Da Vinci, 
but they also don't always have a date on these notes, right? So it's kind of hard to put his story in a timeline order. They still are disputing whether some of his paintings were just made by him or him and a student and which order they came in. And there's just a lot of mystery surrounding the guy in general. So they called him the most curious man ever. And he was very good at mixing observation with imagination. And something that the author pressed about was saying that he didn't have this divine gift from God, that he was definitely a mortal man, right? It wasn't like an Albert Einstein who was obviously smarter than anyone this almost ever existed, right? He very much had the skills of a normal man. He had a natural ability for art, but then it was mostly the way he applied himself. And he was just extremely curious, extremely observational. And continuously throughout the book, he would just make observations about anything in life. And he would just indulge himself in whatever he was curious about, right? They said he was probably ADD or something. Like, he would probably be put on medication today. But because of that, he was able to just jump from discipline to discipline to discipline and really just let his curiosity guide him. And he really didn't want to focus in and he left a lot of his paintings unfinished and he just pursued all this knowledge and he discovered so many things. Continuously throughout the book, they would say Da Vinci discovered X, Y, and Z and that would not be rediscovered for another 300 years. And he was really into anatomy. He did a bunch of dissections. And I'll just go into this right now. Part of the reason it was so crazy is because he was so good at drawing. So he would dissect dead humans, right? And he would draw them. And he he made some of the best drawings that anyone's ever made of the human skeleton and the muscle system. And part of the reason it was so impressive is because he would draw it from like different views, right? He would have a skull that was cut in half and then cut in half a different way. And so you could see different angles and levels of the skull and he would have the light hitting it in a perfect way so that it could be seen and visualized. And it was really impressive, right? But he discovered one thing about the way one of our arteries flow in our heart. I forget exactly what it was, but that was not determined to be true until 1960. So in that case, he discovered something that wasn't confirmed until 450 years later. So this dude is like way ahead of his time. He's discovering things like friction and all sorts of stuff. Newton's laws of motion. He's just writing that shit down and then never publishing it because he's just pursuing knowledge for the sake of learning it. And that was pretty crazy to think about. You can tell with these podcasts, I'm very, I want to accomplish a lot in life, but I'm also very overwhelmed with publishing it and showing people and be like, hey, look what I'm doing, you know, and I, I'm not able to just learn for the sake of learning. And you know, I, I do admire what he's doing personally myself. I kind of, I don't want to die with all of my knowledge just in a notebook somewhere for people to discover hundreds of years later. Like, wow, Tom knew it all back then. I, I do kind of want to find the right balance between pursuing information and intellect and then also sharing that with people of my age. So I think if he was trying to share his information, he wouldn't have discovered as much. But at the same time, you kind of wish he did share more of what he knew because he was just on average, about two to 300 years ahead of his time. It was wild. So when it comes to painting, he was really good at creating the narrative painting. So he would give, he paid very close attention to motion and emotion. And he was very observant and he would observe like water flowing down a creek, you know, and, and the motion of the water and then emotions inside people. So all of his paintings usually delved into someone doing a certain movement 
And then also with their face and the movement trying to portray whatever emotions were going on in their head. So it's extremely impressive, right? It seems like these paintings actually have character to them and it's a scene, it's a story. So he's, you know, kind of like how people create narrative albums today. He was within one painting always had this huge narrative to it and the characters all had their own personalities and emotions that they were facing and they were always usually in movement. So it wasn't just a moment in time, it was a kind of a scene, you know? Especially in The Last Supper, they, they say, right, the Jesus character is announcing the news that someone's going to betray him and radiating from Jesus is this wave of emotions and there's the groups of disciples, right? And you can see in the groups, they're all reacting to that and it's more than just like a snippet in time, it's this whole narrative that he's he's conveying in this moment so very powerful stuff that he's doing with his paintings even early on trying to put all that in there a quote i have written down is eyes are the windows to the soul so that was his quote and he paid very close attention to optics and the ways our eyes view the world and he realized our eyes we don't really see any straight lines in nature so he didn't really draw within straight lines and that kind of branched off to a new branch of italian art went from people who drew strict lines to da vinci's style which was shadows and fading in and and nothing really had any like bound to it right because in the real world and nature he didn't see any bound and he was very observant on how things get more blurry as they get far away right and a lot of times Someone would be doing a hand gesture in a painting and he would draw that very detailed so that the hand kind of reached out to you a little bit in the painting. So very cool and very, he was always focused on like the way light hit things and the best angle. And he would say, you know, the best time to draw someone is like on a cloudy day or in the evening, you know, because that's when the lighting is the best. And yeah, he just paid very close attention to eyes and his eyes, the paint, even the drawings of his eyes had a very specific look to them. They had a little glitter in the eyes. So yeah, he would convey emotion with motion. Oh, I forget what the word is, but he would draw humans from the inside out. So there was some discipline already where he learned that you need to draw like the skeleton and then the muscles and then the skin and then the clothes, right? So he would draw human he was so into it that he would draw humans all the way from the inside out and that's what later in life led him to get into anatomy and so at that point he started dissecting people and animals and stuff i think they were already dead it wasn't like unethical but for like scientific studies so like i said he wasn't just a painter he was very interested in all the science especially geometry he used geometry everywhere and to apply it to like real world situations he would create these machines, right, and draw inventions. And he usually wouldn't build them, but they would have, like, really specific gears and stuff. And what's really cool is he would draw these exploded views that we're used to today where he would draw an invention, but then he would draw every single piece of that invention over here so you could see the way all the different pieces would be built and interact with each other. And so he did things like war inventions, like create, like, a big bow and arrow, you know, that you could shoot at somebody or ways to create these walls so that you could push people off if they were trying to get in your castle. All these different inventions, he would just draw them, right? But they would be very accurate to, like, real-life depictions of things. And then he would determine, like, oh, this one won't work because he was able to play it out in his head and on in, in drawing form. He was able to work through ideas and problems and kind of figure out if they would work or not work. So that was, that was pretty cool. So he was really into machinery, right, and anatomy, the human body, and drawing those things to very intense details, you know? So it was like this road of science mixed along with art. And so he would notice connections from across many different disciplines, 
from nature in humans to geometry. And so, for instance, he would point out that the roots on a tree are similar to the veins in the human body or the rivers of the ocean. He noticed that a a tree, every branch, if you added them up, would equal like the tree trunk or something. So he was just very observant to nature. And he would create these connections from nature to the human body. And there was this one philosophy he really liked about how the microcosm of the human body reflects the macrocosm of the world, right? And how the veins of the body are like the oceans and the rivers of the world and all these different connections, how the bones of the body are like the rocks of the world. And he really liked this connection between like nature and everything and how everything's connected. And he would pull in one observation from this one science and bring it into his art or pull it to another one or make some discovery. It was just really crazy and and he did this a lot by not focusing too much on reading. At, at, at the beginning of his life, he didn't focus too much on reading the knowledge from other people. He said experience is better. Something along the lines of, why go to the well if you can go to the river or something like that. Basically, he wanted firsthand experience, right? Which is something that was developed later in the scientific method. But he would even say you got to test it and test it a couple times to make sure it's true. So he was doing scientific research before it was even like a real thing. And it wasn't until later in life he started realizing, oh, there's a lot of ancient philosophy and teachings and understandings that I should mix in with my my experiments and things of that nature. But he was very much all about firsthand experience, seeing it for yourself, testing it for yourself, and really just not like trusting the word of other people, you know? And at that time, they had a lot of wrong ideas about the way the world works. So he figured a lot of shit out that way. Yeah, I basically just see him as this like ultimate scientist that was also happened to be a really, really good artist as well. So whenever he observed or learned or did an experiment, he could draw it with intense detail. One of my personal favorites is the Vitruvian Man. I've already decided I think I want to make next season's cover album, like the Little Dry Fitness Guy, and he's got the Vitruvian Man kind of uh, arms and legs spread out and he's in the circle in the square we'll see if i do that but vitruvian was a person from 80 bc he's the guy who da vinci got the microcosm macrocosm analogy from right from the world and the human body and he describes the perfect body and and things of that nature and so da vinci he actually drew that in the vitruvian man and then he actually made it better and he has way even way more measurements than Vitruvian did about how long the forearms and the biceps and the arms and the you know every part of the human body should be right yeah he discovered things like Newton's laws and motions he didn't really word them the right way but he was kind of like onto that before Newton was friction oh he was really into bird watching too and he tried to build a lot of flying machines or at least he had a lot of drawings of flying machines and yeah he he would observe things like oh these birds, their wings move up faster than they move down. And these birds, their wings move down faster than they move up, you know, because he was trying to to take that and build a machine with it. And he was, you know, he was very into like nature and representing that in, in machine form. He just got so wise by the end of his life. And he really wasn't into making money or anything. He just wanted to be able to get paid to do his research and his drawings and things of that nature. So very just inspirational, very good for me to read a book that wasn't about someone who made a company, right? I really like Walt Disney and Steve Jobs and Elon Musk and all these people who are building companies in today's age, but it was good to go back and just study like a straight science artist from, you know, the 1500s. 
And, you know, he had this really good understanding that, you know, science is an art and art is a science. And even in my last review, I was talking about how Steve Jobs is talking about the intersection of the arts and technology, right? But I, I needed to be reminded, too, you got to take that step further. Like, technology is just a subsection of science, you know? It's, it's really all about that intersection between art and science, you know? And that's just, like, the golden area to be in because you really can't have one without the other and you really can't be, like, creative, right? Yeah, another thing about him was his ideas were almost like fantasy, you know? Like, the flying machine wasn't a thing yet. He wanted to do like scuba diving equipment and all these things that seemed like fantasy at the time, right? And they ended up turning into reality, you know? And and you really can't have innovation without fantasy, you know? And he, he would blur the lines between observational truths about life and then his imagination and creativity and his drawings and his pictures and his inventions and things of that nature. So, yeah, I mean, it's just really important to keep that aspect of fantasy because fantasies are what turn into, you know, the inventions of tomorrow. You know, you first you got to be able to imagine it to bring it to reality. And so a lot of his inventions or his drawings of things did become real things later on, like the flying machine did, you know, man was able to create an airplane. But at the time, that's just some crazy fantasy of his that is purely existing in his imagination. He was basically a man of range. I read this book called Range a while back. I didn't do a review on it, but it's really important not to get too specialized in life and, you know, to really broaden yourself and look at all these different areas of subject if you're an intellectual because you have this more universal approach to life. And he was really good at, at pulling one thing and creating an analogy and applying it elsewhere, you know, and he had all these just connections going between all these different disciplines. And that's something that personally... Myself, I, I want to be a man of, of breadth, you know, not depth. I think it is great if you're a person of specialization. We do learn a lot when we specialize. And I think the world does benefit from people who specialize. But just keep in mind, it's important to have a really wide breadth of, of areas of study as well as of depth. So, oh, yeah, he kept this childlike wonder to himself. You know, he just kind of saw the world fresh. He would ask questions like, why is the sky blue? You know, those things that we just kind of take for granted. Uh, he would continuously ask himself those simple childlike questions and, and just be kind of in awe and amazement of nature. When it comes to making observation, he suggested take things step by step and detail by detail. He said, if you look at a page, you got to read it word for word. So if you're making observation about something, don't just try to take it all in. You got to look at every single detail and think about all the different contexts of those details. As time went on, he learned to change his mind with new information. As I said, at first he wanted firsthand experience. And later on, he kind of learned how to learn from other people and kind of broaden himself out. Uh, he procrastinated a lot. When he was making The Last Supper, he he would just some days he would just stare at it for hours and make like one little change and then he'd go home. And he says, ideas take time to marinate. So men actually accomplish the most when they do the least. So that one was big for me. I kind of get very focused sometimes and try to work for like 40 hours straight. And recently I've kind of taken my foot off the gas a little bit. And then your the ideas you have, they just start popping up and formulating. And, and they just, they change so much during that time period. It's very important to actually take some time off. He thought very visually. He created things for himself. He actually did collaborate a lot. He wasn't like just this genius sitting in the woods somewhere. He did have uh, students of, of his that he would work with all the time and collaborate with. 
he took notes on paper and that was super important because so many of his notes were left behind for us to study. And, oh, I didn't even talk about this in the beginning, but one reason that this was such a cool experience for me is because I listened to the audiobook and they had this PDF of all of his paintings, right? And so as they would describe a chapter of a certain painting, you know, I could just go through and stare at it, right? And they also had big section of his books where he'd have little writings and he had little drawings and geometric shapes. And it was really just, it's really cool to see his mind work and just to kind of like dive in there. And basically the author was saying like these tweets and these, you know, YouTube videos might not be, be there in 500 years, but if you write things down on paper, you know, that actually lasts for a long time. And we have lots and lots of his notes to go back and study and kind of see his genius. So I might actually start taking my notes down on paper. This kind of right now I'm doing like a, an audio note, but you know, if I don't continue to pay for the the thing that keeps this up on my podcast website, it would just, I don't know, disappear. And maybe I lose my computer and hundred years from now, there's not really that same record of my thoughts where we're still reading his notes from 500 years ago. Yeah, he did a lot of crazy to-do lists too, which one of his things was, what is the woodpecker's tongue made out of? Figure out what the woodpecker's tongue is made out of. Something like that. And he just had the weirdest, wackiest notes, you know. Figure out why the alligator's jaw snaps. Or, you know, just things of that. And, and it was just so weird and bizarre. But these to-do lists that he would make for himself really just kind of showed his genius. So... You know, it's not exactly clear how I should apply this all to drive fitness. I probably need some more time to marinate in it. But I think it did just give me this bigger appreciation for art and painting in general and appreciation for nature. I'm definitely going to become more observational in things. We just have this ability just to jump on the internet and find anything out right like at our fingertips. But it made me realize that there's some big importance to coming to conclusions on your own and doing your own little experiments. I think as a company, Drive Fitness, we need to discover things for ourselves and put things to the test and really not just accept the knowledge that's out there today. Like we really need to discover things on our own so that we don't get caught up in what today's standards of fitness are you know we're trying to change the fitness industry which means we need to start from scratch and figure things out for ourselves you know mix that in with what's known today but really just start asking questions from ground zero just be more childlike it's really hard to apply this directly to drive fitness at the moment i think i need i need more time with it but yeah i just even with steve jobs right it's just he didn't have the same like appreciation for art that da vinci did and i just think it's really special the way he he has such a good mix of art and science in him, you know? And I think Dry Fitness needs to... We need to look... We need to gain an even deeper appreciation for art as we grow. Anyways, uh, I don't have as much kind of apply this to Dry Fitness shit to say, but I mean, I don't know. I was mind blown by this book. I think everyone needs to go read it, honestly. Da Vinci was the GOAT, dude. He was centuries ahead of his time, and he was so much more than an artist. I never know that he was such a scientist, too. Uh, very impressive human. And yeah, I'm looking forward to reading the next book, which I think is Albert Einstein. So holy shit, man. About to get my mind blown all over again. Peace out. <laughs>